All right, it's a pleasure to welcome our in-studio guest, the Hall of Famer, Tony Dungy, joins us in here right now. Tony's here um, to talk about LA84, the LA84 Foundation Summit, to talk about the impact of the 1968 Olympics, and we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Tony, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here, and obviously great to see my man, uh, Keyshawn. We go, we have some history. I can't (laughs) wait to hear about it. I can't wait to hear about it. That wasn't bad, man. No, he was good for me. Tony is coached. I did everything he asked me to do. All right, so let let I, this was the one that I was going to start with, and you gave me the perfect opening, Coach. That what is it like? Because I sit across and we go back and forth every day. What's it like to be a coach with Keyshawn Johnson? Complete team player. He all he wanted to do was win, but coincidentally, he thought the more he got the ball, the more <laughs> we're going to win. So <laughs> hey, only only opportunity and chance for us to win is to get me the ball. Defensively, they can handle their business, which they pretty did. Good defense, you know, which they did. But I, I still. You know, I still want to touch the ball. That's what they pay me for. And and then you think about it, and athletes and receivers in particular, and Coach Dungey could speak to this, when you don't, they're paying you all this money. I mean, at that time, I was the highest paid receiver in the game. The whole deal, Dungey made it great for me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't getting the ball at certain times. So the first thing you do is you look at the newspaper or you look at this and people are saying, oh, he's not doing his job. And it affects you, but I wasn't a pain in Coach Dungey's no, butt not at, at all. all. Not no. at all. Maybe the offensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> you delegated effectively, yes, I hear. Yeah. yeah. So what's that like? I mean, when you have a, a football team and Keyshawn, obviously, number one pick, highest paid receiver, you got guys that believe that their way is going to give you the opportunity to succeed. But I'm assuming everybody, the quarterback, the running back, everybody has a similar point of view. How do you manage that many personalities? That, that's the big thing, just getting everybody to understand Hey, there's going to be times when it's your day, it's your night. There's going to be other times when it's not, depending on who we play. But the big thing is everybody's got to flow in it together and be patient. And when you get people that just want to win, which, which Keyshawn wanted to win very badly, and, and that's the thing people don't always understand. When you get people who want to win, then you can make it work. It's, it's funny hearing Coach Dungy say that, not about the winning part, but about being able to communicate to the player about maybe tonight's not your night. It's all started and it's work done. And here's our game plan. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna go from the twenty to the twenty, and we're gonna win six to nothing because our defense is just. Like, and if you're okay with that, him telling you that, you respect that. A lot of times in coaching, they'll tell you one thing and do something totally different. But that wasn't Dungey and his staff. They never ever came to me and said, "We're gonna get you ten catches tonight," and then I wind up with one. In two attempts. Never, ever. So you respect that and you appreciate that. And that's why when I look at Coach Dungey and he's on TV, I'm always saying to myself, he doesn't deserve to be on television. He deserves to be on the sideline because the NFL needs him back in the game as a head coach because there's not a lot of them out there like him. Not at all. What does that make you think of, Coach? Uh, It makes me feel good. That's what you always want, the respect of your players. And and that's what we tried to do. We tried to communicate. And uh, I've worked for a guy named Chuck Knoll. And he always told me, if you have your players prepared and you pick good players and you help them be the best they can be, that's how you're going to win. You don't have to be the person in charge. You don't have to be the guy making all the decisions. You just are there to help them win. And that was my philosophy. Coach Coach Tony Dungy joining us here on Keyshawn. LZ and Travis. LZ obviously is not here with us. He's on vacation again. Again. But, yeah. um, <laughs> again. Again. Do you get the itch? I, I really haven't. Um, 
when I first started TV with NBC and we did live games, I said, that's going to be the test. When I get there and I'm on the sideline and the national anthem plays and the guys run out there, how is that going to be? But I actually got through that okay. I, I love what I'm doing now. It keeps me involved enough. Uh, where I do get frustrated sometimes, especially these last five weeks, I've watched this football and said, where is the defense? Can anybody <laughs> stop anybody? I mean, you, have you ever seen more guys running wide open, mm. uh, running backs running through holes that, that are just huge? But is that more of the way that the rules have changed, More, or meaning practice-wise, meaning you can't touch guys beyond five yards? If you if you barely bump a guy, they're going to throw a flag. Has, it, does that have anything to do with the way things are going? I think it really is the practice rules more than anything else. These quarterbacks, as you know, they get their guys. They go to Duke. They go to Arizona. They get the whole offense, and they can throw and yes. do 7-on-7, seven seven, do everything for two or three weeks. But the defenders can't do that. So they're coming in on short practices, and uh, it looks to me like defense doesn't know what they're doing yet. Maybe by the end of the year it'll come around. But can you – Can you? Can, okay, so from a secondary standpoint, let's say the back half, the linebackers in secondary, that seven on, can they put seven on together in the offseason? season? And just kind of go you know, through the, as you know, acclimated the, things? The receivers can do that. You can go with the yes. quarterback and you can throw your seven-on-seven. Yes. Seven, right? Hey, this is how deep it's supposed to be. And you don't really need a defense out uh-huh. there. The defense can't do that. They need an offense. They need an offense, and that, that's where it, it struggles. And then the other thing, Mike Tomlin told me uh, last year, he said the way practice is now and you can't hit every other day and you can only practice, if you have a problem, you don't have enough practice time to get it fixed yeah. uh, on defense. Uh, and, and so I, I think we, we have put the defense behind the eight ball, but TV likes it, and the fans like it, and the, the, we had a 43-40 game Sunday night. It was fun to watch. I'm not going to lie. It was yeah, fun to yeah, watch. It was fun to watch. You saw that on Football Night in America, where Tony Dungy is an analyst. You can see this Sunday's game, the Bengals and the Chiefs, covered starts at 4 o'clock Pacific. Um you were a defensive player. You were a defensive-minded coach. Can such a thing exist anymore or because of the rules? I mean, do you have to be like Sean McVay and the Rams and, and Andy Reid with Patrick Mahomes and just find a way to score 40 points, and that's the way that you have to attack it? I think that's the way the game's going. And Keyshawn's other guy, Bill Belichick, I think he's ahead of the game again, once again on this. He has discovered, hey, I'm a defensive-minded guy, but that is not the way to win anymore. You look at his defense now, how many names do you recognize on the New England defense? One, Hightower. Hightower. That's That's the only one. I'll go out, I'll get Josh Gordon, I'll get my tight ends, I'll get receivers, I'll get quarterbacks, I'll draft a running back in the first round. I'm going to outscore people because the way the game is set up, the rules on the field, my quarterback probably will stay healthy you know, till he's 45 because you can't hit him anymore. So I'm going to build this around offense, and we're going to outscore people. Ten years ago, 15 years ago, he would have never thought like that. When you look at teams like a Bill Belichick and his style of coaching and understanding the league as a whole, and you look at guys like Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, is this the reason that they can continue to extend their careers beyond, I don't know, 40 years old? Because all those guys are either close to 40 or over 40. Well, I think it is. It's the personal trainers and staying in shape and, and working out year-round. It's the money. You know, real, when, when Terry Bradshaw and I played, the quarterback made $2 million. Oh. And so that's still good money, but it's not $18 million, $20 million. And so these guys are saying, hey, if I can extend my career four or five more years and I love the game, hey, I'm going to still play. We've, we've made it easier for them. 
And uh, I think the salary cap situation, too. Good coaches are putting their salary cap money on offense. I'll go get Drew Brees a couple of receivers. I'll draft Alvin Kamara. We'll have Mark Ingram. We'll have all this weaponry. So, yeah, my quarterback's job is going to be easy. You know he played quarterback before. He was a QB. Before you went to the other side. At the University of Minnesota. Yes. That's, that's did wild, it help huh? you as a defensive hey, player understanding what did. was going on? It did. I, and we're going to talk a little bit about this at the panel today, but uh, I was in college. I played University of Minnesota. I led the Big Ten in passing twice. Warren, We played a game against Washington. Warren Moon was the quarterback mm-hmm. for the other team, and neither one of us got drafted. He was the most valuable player in the Rose Bowl. Went to the CFL. Led the big uh, Pac-10 at that time in passing and didn't get drafted. He went to the CFL, won five Grey Cups, and came back. Marv Levy was the coach of the Montreal Alouettes. They had my rights, and he said, come up here, play quarterback. You know, you'll be a star. Did you think about it, or did you say, I'm going to I NFL? I thought for that long, because you know, they were offering me a lot of money, and it was, but I wanted to play with the best. And so I said, you know, something in my heart, I want to go to the NFL, and I ended up playing safety, and it was it was good for me. Tony Dungy, the Hall of Famer, Football Night in America analyst, and you, you, Key just mentioned it. You talk about Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and that that crop of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Who's the next crop? Who who are the guys that if we're fast forward to ten years, are we talking about Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I love this this crew that's come: Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Pat Mahomes, and they're doing things athletically. I think. We've broadened out as coaches, and we've said, hey, we've got to embrace what these guys can do. Patrick Mahomes, there was a time quarterback coaches would go crazy. You're running to your left and throwing back to your right across your body. But they're saying these guys can do this. And and, and that goes to the athletic ability. When I go back and I think about the quarterbacks that we had, you kind of started that with the Sean Kings. You even had – we had uh, – Who's a little guy? From Joe there? Hamilton. Joe Hamilton. Joe Hamilton. We had Joe hey, Hamilton. On he was our, a CFL. Uh, tell, no, tell me he this. was. He was. Joe Hamilton was about five. Second at ten, ten maybe. maybe. Second in the Heisman Trophy. Second in the Heisman Trophy. Dungy gave him a shot in the NFL. He lasted three or four years with us in Tampa, and he actually could play the position. He actually could play the position at that size with no problem at all. Yep. Our quarterbacks was on the move, guys. All those sort of things. So Dungy and his staff kind of started this mobile-type quarterback that happened to, in my opinion, be the black quarterback. You know I'm going to go there. <laughs> you always do. That's, yeah. it, hey, it's the truth, Amen, though. My they kind of started that wave of quarterback back in that day. It, it's You have to be incredibly athletic to play it now, don't you? You can't just be the, the, yeah. a statue. the, the next Ben Roethlisberger. And he's maybe a little more mobile than people think. Oh, but yeah. you can't just plant that back foot and look around. you got to be able to move. No, the, these defensive linemen are too big. And it gives you such an advantage. If you can do a little bit, that's why I love Aaron Rodgers. Um, great in the pocket, great with all the things, but if the play breaks down, if the defense has it covered, just that ability to move and say, I can create something when there's nothing there, that's what separates the guys now. All right. Tony Dungy's here in studio with us. Of course, you can see him on Football Night in America. Plus, he's in town here in Los Angeles, along with Mike Tirico, Greg Luganis, and some others to participate in a panel on the 1968 Olympics and their legacy at LA84, the foundation summit that they are having today. We'll get into that. Plus, his thoughts on a couple of California coaches, Sean McVay and John Gruden. That's coming up next. 
The Hall of Famer Tony Dungy joining us here in studio. You can also see him on Football Night in America. This Sunday's game, which coverage starts 4 o'clock Pacific, the Bengals and the Chiefs, Sunday Night Football on NBC. Key, my Rams got bumped out of that game because the Niners can't beat anybody. They should bump the game tonight, too. The Denver, uh, who is it? Denver and it, uh, I have David Arizona. Johnson on my yeah, fantasy. They need to, they need to be bump that game and put that game in another time yeah. slot, too. I Did, wanted to see the Rams, but yeah, the Niners without Garoppolo, it's been tough. Yeah. Coach, what's it like when you hear the you know Hall of Famer Tony Dungy? That's got to be surreal. It's still unbelievable to me. I, I played for Chuck Noll. I worked for him. I played a year for Bill Walsh. That's what I think of when I think Hall of Fame. And, and uh, Tony Dungy just doesn't doesn't go with those two. I don't think it does for all of us. <laughs> it does for all of it's us. It's pretty. It's pretty easy for me to see why Coach Dungy would be in the Hall of Fame. Not just his ability to coach the players and get the best out of his guys and most out of his guys, but also the way that he approached everything. He's given everybody when you think about people talk about the Belichick trees and all you look at his tree. They don't say enough about his tree. You got the Mike Tomlins, the Lovey Smiths. You just connect all of those sort of guys together. I mean, given an opportunity, he coached he coached under Denny Green. He got his opportunity as a head coach, one of the first black head coaches in the National Football League. He took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from ugly orange uniforms. <laughs> Creamsicles. Oh, and, 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 and he may not and I'll say it for him, but Coach Dungy may not say it. He took him from the creamsicles to Super Bowl winning. Mm-hmm. He may not say it. I'll say it for him. We don't win a Super Bowl if him, along with his partner in crime, Rich McKay, does not construct that team the way that they did for us to take that next step. And, of course, you got your own Super Bowl in Indianapolis as well. So you get, a, you get credit for that one and the one that he's given. <laughs> well, I'm so, giving well, credit for it, whether they it. like it or not. Absolutely. So let's talk about a couple of the coaches that are here. We'll start with Sean McVay, that when they hired him, he was 30. And it was, oh, okay, let's see how this works out. And it's remarkable because from the moment he's gotten here and the moment we got to see him coming off of a 4-12 and season, it's been remarkable. What's it like to see a man that young have that immediate impact? Well, I think it shows you that age and experience doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. I got to interview Sean last year when they got on their run um, and we had him on Sunday Night Football. And when I went to that building, it was impressive to see. Everybody knew who was in charge, but he didn't stand out and like, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm in charge. You have to do what, what I say. Uh, everybody knew it, but he had that ability to delegate and get things done, and uh, it's dynamic. I, I've really enjoyed watching what they've done. We, we played against the greatest show on turf, obviously, when we, you were coaching us in Tampa. When you look at this offense, and Jared Goff and Todd Gurley and Cooks and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. How comparable is it to those Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk teams? It's it's very similar. And again, Sean has the capacity to go to those guys and say, hey, today they can't stop the run. So it might be Todd Gurley for 250 yards a day. You receivers, you're just going to have to be patient. Then the next week it could be Robert Woods Day. And the next week it's, it's Cup. And they're all buying into it. And to me, that's what's great about it. They've got all of this talent, but they're all on the same page. Put your defensive hat on. If you're going up against Sean McVay's Rams and you have to figure out, okay, I got Todd Gurley, I got Robert Woods, I've got Brandon Cooks, I've got Jared Goff, where do you start? It's tough. You have to have a front seven that can stop the run without the safeties being involved. You've got to be able to play pass defense with your, your group. And not many people have that. You're going to have to give up one or the other. And Sean is, you know, and he said it the other day, he wasn't patient enough with the run and he's got to talk himself into continuing to run the ball. 
So let's talk about the other team that still has a ton of fans here in Los Angeles, the Oakland Raiders. They're off to the opposite start. The Rams can't lose, and the Raiders are really struggling to find wins. They're just 1-5. and five. John Gruden's been taking a ton of heat. Did he need to blow it up the way he did? Because it seems like he showed up and just hit the detonator and started from ground zero. Well, I, I thought the Raiders had a better team, and that you know they just missed the playoffs the year before. They were a playoff team, thirteen and three, I want to yeah. say, and then they missed the playoffs barely. You, you, I didn't think you needed to blow it up, but John wanted his type of guys in, and and they'll be good eventually. The thing that he has to understand and learn: when we were both coaching ten years ago, you could do a lot more, and you could bring these guys in. And it could happen quick because you're practicing twice a day and you, you've got all this off-season time. It's going to take a little more time than maybe they anticipated. Much like you just said, Coach Dungey, I felt the same way. I didn't feel like you needed to blow the team up or start wholesaling the team. Now, coaches and front office people do a lot of these things for a lot of different reasons. I felt like... Jack Del Rio had him right where he needed him. Two years ago, obviously, they, they play Houston in the playoffs. They get bounced. But I had him pegged to go to the AFC Championship game and play the New England Patriots. If you look at what they've done today, I, I look at Coach Gruden and I say, this is all about wanting to prove to people that he was able to construct a team and win with his own team opposed to inheriting a team that was already kind of ready-baked, ready to go. He turned the oven on and pulled it out with us in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He gets the opportunity now to say, I built this team. It's my team, If whether I win or lose. And I believe that they got to do it sooner rather than later. Well, they do, and especially after the Max situation. I mean, you, you took a guy who was not only a great player, but popular in the locker room, and a guy who said – hey, it's all right, pay the quarterback first. I understand that. He should get paid. I'll just wait my turn. And he waited his turn, and and it didn't happen. And now you got everybody in the locker room saying, hey, if Khalil Mack, if we treat him like this, what's up? Real quick, would you have traded Khalil Mack? I wouldn't because I'm a defensive guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a lot of people would have. I think uh, most people would have kept Khalil back. All right, uh, Coach, you're here in town along with Mike Tirico, Greg Luganis, and some others. You guys Woo-hoo! are participating in a panel on the 1968 Olympic Games. And we were talking a little bit off the air. I was here in Los Angeles when they came through in 84, and you remember the 68 games incredibly vividly. Yeah, I, I do. I was 13 years old at the time. I'm a big basketball fan. Kareem, Elvin Hayes, a lot of the African-American basketball players were not going, didn't go. And I'm asking my dad, what's up with that? Why aren't they going? Why aren't they playing in the Olympics? And he kind of explained to me uh, what was happening. Dr. King had just gotten killed in that, that spring. And gosh, you know, the 200-meter the finals and these guys win. And, and what they were saying in so many words is, hey, we're the fastest guys on earth, but half the colleges we could come back we couldn't be on your track team because we're not allowed in your school something is wrong and it it made a tremendous statement people didn't appreciate it at the time but it it made a tremendous statement did you know at the time when you saw john carlos and tommy smith raise their fists in the air did you have that okay this is a moment or was it kind of what what are they doing it was a moment, and you, you could feel it. I didn't know exactly what it was. I had to talk to my dad about it. My dad fought in World War II. My dad was a uh, Tuskegee Airman. Hmm. And he said, you know what? This is, this is why we fought, so that you could have the ability to say what's on your mind. This is what America is supposed to be about. And they got expelled from the Olympic Village the next day. And I, I remember asking my dad, is that right? And he said, no, that, that's not right. How does that affect where we are today? I think 
we're coming back to that. And Colin Kaepernick brought a lot of that back. I mean, that was the, the first thing on my mind. Um, Kaepernick got ostracized the same way those guys did. I think we'll look back 10 years from now, 12 years from now, and say Colin Kaepernick maybe was on to something ahead of what, yeah, what unfortunately, we it seems like it takes that amount of time for everybody to catch up to where they were beginning. And people try to turn it and twist it and, yeah. and take the narrative away. As Keyshawn knows, so many of these guys do so much yes. in the communities on Tuesdays, on their off days. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were just at a, a halfway home uh, with ex-offenders. And people, the players are doing this kind of stuff. It's not anti-America. It's not anti-flag. It's not anti-military. It's, hey, here's what's happening in our community that we need to make better. All right, that's going to be part of a documentary that airs October 31st on NBC Sports, a panel uh, that Coach Dungy is going to participate today, Mike Tirico, Greg Luganis, and others talking about the 1968 Olympics. October 31st, they can see a coach on NBC mm. Sports. Can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Oh, awesome. It's always fun. Coach Dungy coming to a sideline near you soon. Oh, you heard it from me. Oh, okay. So. Got the Hall of Fame He'll credentials be my right offensive there. coordinator right <laughs> You here. don't want that. You don't want that. I know what that might look like.